All This podcast is brought to you by All This International, supplying your expert AI and digital transformation staffing needs across the US and Europe. Today, you are listening to our AI in Action series, where leading minds in AI from across the world share their story, success, and advice. AI in Action cuts through the hype and explores the true impact of artificial intelligence in our world today. You're listening to AI in Action. I'm your host, JP Valentine. Our guest today is Rachel Libatori. Rachel is the Chief Scientific Officer at RenBio. Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I think this is going to be maybe a little different than what you're used to, but but I'm looking forward to it. Of course. Yeah, we can talk about what you do and what RenBio does, but let's start with yourself and your background. Obviously, this is more in the scientific track and and less pure technology, but can you give us a, a little bit of an overview of your career journey today from where you got started and what's led you to where you are today? So I've really always known that I loved biology, science in general, but biology in particular. When I was really little, I used to tell anyone who would listen that I was going to be a marine biologist. I was completely obsessed with Jacques Cousteau and whales and dolphins, which hasn't left me, actually, even though I don't work on that now. So when I went to college, there were two biology departments. So um, there was ecology and evolutionary biology, and there was molecular biology. And I didn't have to think too long to know that I wanted to major in molecular biology. I really, I was fascinated by understanding the real nitty gritty of how cells work and how genes work. I'm going to date myself a little bit here. So the Human Genome Project started when I was starting high school. And I was obsessed. I thought it was just so fascinating that we were going to know all of the the complete DNA sequence that's in a human cell and the genes that are required to make a human. I didn't know at the time, I didn't know enough to know that we wouldn't know what to do with that sequence for, for a very long time. But but I was obsessed with the idea that, and so I decided to, to major in molecular biology and and really just everything that I learned continued to fortify my love for biology and for science. So One of the other important things that I got to do as an undergraduate is at my school, we were required to do an undergraduate thesis. And if you were majoring in in research-related field, it it was a research-based thesis. And so I got my first exposure to working in a research lab. And, and I loved it. Um, it was sort of the, the perfect combination of being able to work with my hands, which I love and, and the sort of intellectual rigor and, and just intellectually rewarding in a way that I just absolutely loved. And so I knew that I wanted to go on and do a PhD and continue to work in research. And when I was thinking about what area, right, so the further along you go, you continue to specialize and specialize. And so when I was thinking about more specifically what area I wanted to specialize in for my PhD work, it was really informed by the fact that one of my absolute favorite classes as an undergrad was a virology course that I took, an introductory virology course. And the professor was brilliant and so enthusiastic that you couldn't help but come out of that course, or at least I couldn't help but come out of that course without absolutely loving viruses. And so I chose to join a virology lab for my PhD and got sidetracked a little bit from the virology while I was there and worked really more on a uh, sort of an immunology project, but it wound up being the perfect setup for what I went on to do then as a postdoctoral fellow. 
which is to study viral pathogenesis. So I was really interested in understanding not only how viruses work and how they get into cells and replicate, and but then also how the host responds to them, how the immune system, for example, helps try to defend a host from a viral infection. And, and that sort of interaction I found just really fascinating. So that's what I did for a number of years for my postdoc. And I did that at the a nonprofit institute also here in, in New York City called the Aaron Diamond AIDS Research Center. And, and that's where I met the co-founders of RenBio. David Ho was the head of the institute and Yao Xing Wang was one of the professors there. Excellent. Thank you so much for your own background. And I know you mentioned in your introduction that this was going to be more towards the scientific side. The purpose of our podcast is AI in action. And we want to take people beyond the title of AI and get a look behind the scenes and companies and how they're using aspects of, of artificial intelligence, whether it's data science, data engineering, machine learning, but just straight up analytics within particular industries. So we will touch on aspects of that and how it overlaps with Rembio in a moment. But let's start with Rembio as a business. What is What do you do at Rembio? What is the mission of the organization? We are developing a platform technology, which we call our Myo technology. And this is a technology that's based on intramuscular injection of plasma DNA, followed by the delivery of very short electrical pulses through a process called uh, electroporation, which enables the plasma DNA to get into the muscle cells. And there the muscle cells produce whatever the plasmid, whatever genes are in the plasmid. And so the main the main thing we use this technology for is the delivery of monoclonal antibodies. And our initial focus, because of our co-founder's background in virology and mine as well, and our COO also came from the same HIV AIDS Research Institute, one of our main focuses is on the delivery of antiviral antibodies in particular uh, with our technology. So Rachel, I definitely want to get your take on what insights can be derived from the data uh, that you're working on. But before we do that, can you s explain the underlying technology, what you created, and then what insights we can get from the data that you're pulling in and how that can change prevention and treatment of disease? Sure. So the technology, the sort of intramuscular electroporation technology is not brand new. It's been used in a number of other fields. It's used, related technologies are used in oncology for tumor ablation, for example. So you can use electrical pulses to destroy cancer cells. And it's also used in the vaccination field as well. So instead of delivering a plasmid encoding an antibody, for example, you can deliver a plasmid encoding an antigen. So you can imagine giving a plasmid encoding the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein, for example, and that could be made into a vaccine. And that's something that is being pursued, not by our company, but others. But we sought out to really build this technology, this platform, specifically for our purposes, so specifically for the delivery of plasmid encoding monoclonal antibodies. And we felt that the related technologies that I just mentioned were not tailored specifically enough to this purpose to make it successful. So we built a team, a really a fantastic team of peers and biologists working side by side in a way that's that's really fun. So we have, through the course of the development of the technology, part of what makes it really interesting is, is the type of data that we collect are both sort of standard biological data. So things like measuring serum concentrations of the antibody that we're delivering in animal models and measuring things like tissue damage at the site of administration. Obviously, we want to minimize that. And so we do histology 
So we'll take tissue sections, for example, and examine them under the microscope and use different readouts, markers of tissue damage. And then on the engineering side of things, we're taking electrical recordings, right, from our device. We can take things like current measurements and impedance measurements when we're during the procedure and before and after the procedure. And what's really interesting is trying to understand how these typically what would be separate types of data, how they work together. So out of how to understand electrical readouts in the context of the biological system and how to apply the biological readouts to inform the design of the electrical side of things. And so it's a, it's been a really interesting process in that way. Rachel, could you get, take us behind the scenes, describe the overall team currently at Ramboya and the breakdown of pure scientists to technologists to to engineering both from a scientific perspective and then the technology side and how it all comes together yeah absolutely we have a handful of ph level phd level biologists with really divergent backgrounds and even within biology uh, a muscle cell and muscle physiology specialist people with backgrounds in cell biology genetics immunology that all work together on the biological side of things people whose expertise is in particular modifying our plasmid dna construct for example, so changing the sequences that control gene expression in the plasmid to maximize it for our particular system. Um, and so that's on the biology side of things. And then on the engineering side, we have an electrical engineer and a mechanical engineer, and they work together to really come up with the foundation of the device design, right? So there's a medical device component that's required to inject the plasmid into the DNA and then deliver these electrical pulses. And so they've really contributed the majority to the device design, but they have to work really closely with the biologists and vice versa, right? Because it has to work together as a system. And, and then that whole team of sort of senior level as they are supported by research associates who have to get into both sides of the biology and the engineering to just fill in gaps and support the whole team. You are listening to the Aldis Podcast. When you're looking to scale your team or if you are interested in showcasing your company in a future episode, reach out today. Or if you're in the market for a new role, visit our website to view open positions www.aldis.com. Rachel, you talked about um, electrical engineering and working on the device. Describe what the device does, how it works, and how it helps you gain insights overall from the data. The process of electroporation broadly refers to applying an electrical field to cells in such a way that it causes breaks in the cell membrane that enable DNA to get in. And it's used extensively in an in vitro setting in the laboratory to do for a process called transfection. And that's the process of getting foreign DNA into cells. And we can make that leap from doing it in the lab to actually doing it in vivo. So in a living organism or in a human. And you can do that and you can use that same process of electroporation in this case, to get the plasma DNA that we're injecting into those muscle cells. So I think the world has, unfortunately, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, but fortunately for the sort of fields of nucleic acid gene delivery, the success of the RNA vaccines in the during the COVID-19 pandemic, I think have really illustrated to some extent the power of nucleic acid-based 
based technologies. And by nucleic acid, I mean anything that's founded in a DNA or RNA. And so for our platform, we are using, as I said, DNA, a type of DNA called plasma DNA and our medical device. So we've generated this specialized plasma DNA, again, for, for expressing antibody genes in, in muscle cells. And then inserted into that plasmid are the genes for whatever antibody we want to make. And the medical device component of it, so that gets loaded, the DNA itself gets loaded into a syringe and put in the device. And the device looks, unfortunately, rather gum, but it goes up against the deltoid muscle. DNA gets injected, very similar to where you would receive typically an intramuscular vaccine. And the DNA gets injected. And then there are electrodes, needle electrodes that are part of the device that get inserted with the needle that's injecting the DNA. And after the injection of the DNA, those electrodes deliver a very specific set of electrical pulses. And that's one of the things that we've worked a lot on in the development of the device is both the orientation and the number of those needle electrodes and the precise way that the, that the energy is delivered. And, and that, that creates, the energy is delivered in such a way that it creates sort of the optimum electrical field to get the plasma DNA into those muscle cells, but not damage the tissue in any way, which of course is something something we want to avoid. Final question for me then, Rachel. We have a large audience who work within life sciences, biotechnology, both on the pharma, biotech and medical device side, many of whom are looking for aspects of AI and data science at play to advance their own career. When you look at growth for RemBio over the next two to three years, Speaking to an audience of, of data professionals, where do you see the headcount growing? What opportunities will there be for people to come and join? And when you're involved in speaking to candidates about the opportunities at Rembio, what is it that you tell them to get them excited and interested to join you guys over some of the other companies out there? So I think part of it is what I just alluded to, which is I think largely due to the success of the RNA vaccines for COVID, there's this real sort of increasing awareness of nucleic acid-based technologies. So I think the field in general will really, really take off even more so than it might have already done without without the pandemic. So one of the most interesting programs that we're involved in right now, and this is just to give you an idea of perhaps where things are headed, is a program that's funded by DARPA, so the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. And this is work that we're doing in collaboration with some academic groups as well. And this program is called the, the P3 program, or the Pandemic Prevention Platform. And this is a program that DARPA launched or put out the funding announcement in early 2017 and groups started working on it by, I think, about the end of that year, early 2018. And the timing for this was pretty incredible, as you can imagine from the name. So the goal was pandemic prevention. There were two key elements to this program. One was that it involved the use of antiviral monoclonal antibodies for prevention of uh, viral diseases. And antibodies are really amazing in that way. I think that's another term that has become more commonly known since the pandemic is monoclonal antibodies. And they're incredible in the context of viral diseases because they can be used both for treatment and prevention. And so it's really the prevention aspect that was important for this P3 program from DARPA. And so that one element of it is that it would involve the development of a platform technology um, that would end with the delivery of antiviral antibodies to prevent an emerging outbreak from becoming a pandemic because they can be fairly rapidly isolated and that technology is just getting exponentially better. That is a field in which AI is very much used. But the other element of the P3 program was the other crucial component of it is that those antibodies, those monoclonal antibodies, would be delivered in the form of nucleic acid. 
So they would be delivered either in RNA encoding for an antibody or DNA encoding for an antibody. And, and that was because DARPA really felt that was going to be the fastest way to get a new antibody into people to make it into a drug. There are a number of technical reasons why it's faster and easier to make a lot of plasma DNA, for example, or to a lot of antibody protein, which is how it would typically be delivered. And so DARPA was very interested in the speed aspect of it. And so they, they put a lot of money into this program to really fund some technological breakthroughs in order to make this a process that would typically take a few to several years, and they wanted it done in 60 days or less, <laughs> which is a very DARPA-like program and sounds insane, but the groups that have been successful have really gotten amazingly close to that time frame. And so the idea is that in the face of emerging viral outbreak, antiviral antibodies would be identified from an infected patient from their blood cells, and that's something that can be done partly due to advances from this program, but was also a field that was really seen quite quickly in terms of the scale at which novel antiviral antibodies could be identified from people. So you can take blood from somebody who's infected. You can find the B cells that are making the antiviral antibodies in that person. And then you can go into those individual B cells and you can actually clone the antibody gene. And then you can take that gene into the lab and now make those same antibodies in a laboratory setting. And then, of course, you can scale that up and make them into drugs. And so that technology is really enormously in the last decade or so. And so starting with that, with the isolation of an antiviral antibody and then moving, doing, of course, the confirmatory laboratory experiments that you need to do to show that the antibody works and that it blocks that virus from infecting cells, which you want to do. Once you have that, then the question is, what's the best way to turn that into a drug and get that into people? And it's DARPA was very much of the idea that, again, putting it in, keeping it in a nucleic acid form, so either RNA or DNA, is just going to be faster from a manufacturing standpoint, really. And the best way to get that into a drug form and, and get it to people, again, with the whole program aimed at really getting an antiviral drug into the clinic as quickly as possible in the face of an emerging outbreak. And so this is something that they, so this P3 program, RenBio is, is participating, is one of the, is one of the funded groups under the program. And are really, the goal is to, after a successful first demonstration, which will come in the next year or so, that is a technology that really could be massively expanded and that we envision could be something that could be used much more broadly, not just for delivering antiviral antibodies to prevent a pandemic in the, in the face of an emerging outbreak, but to deliver to deliver antibodies really for a broad range of other established viral diseases. So against influenza, for example, um, but also the technology in general can be used to deliver antibodies outside of the context of viral diseases, really in any or in most settings where antibodies are used clinically. So right now, most monoclonal antibodies are not used as antivirals. They're used for a number of different types of cancer treatments and also to treat inflammatory and autoimmune diseases. And so we really view our platform as being able to expand into all of, to be used in all of those areas. So really as the field of monoclonal antibodies continues to grow, and it really has been growing immensely over the past few decades, and now we'll continue to make even more headway into, into infectious diseases. We really see a huge potential for expanded use of this type of technology to deliver antibodies, which are just increasingly common drugs. And we really see a lot of potential expansion. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on today and talking to us. It was really great to learn about Rambio, the work you're doing, its mission and the 
potential revolutionary impact this technology can have in the treatment of infectious diseases. It's great to hear how this sort of data can be brought together and leads us into what analysis and insights you can derive from it. So we wish you, the team and everyone at Rembio the best luck in months and years to come. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, JP. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Aldis Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any Android podcast of choice. You can also head over to our website, www.aldis.com, to listen to more podcasts, view our open roles, and stay up to date with industry news. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for more great episodes coming very soon.